This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. Members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Christine Ross for Libby's Nimer. In a week when the government bailed out Air Canada with customer refunds as part of the deal, there's renewed talk of travel post-pandemic. But how will your travel plans be different? For one, expect to pay more. And what have we learned about living sustainably during this health crisis as we celebrate the second Earth Day of the pandemic on Thursday? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Tel Aviv University researchers have made a groundbreaking discovery in the fight against brain cancer by preventing it from spreading. Glioblastoma is an aggressive type of cancer that can occur in the brain or spinal cord. The team detected a failure in the brain's immune system and isolated the protein responsible for allowing the deadly cancer to spread. The lead researcher says the findings could also be used to treat pain of patients with sickle cell anemia. Spain is about to launch a nationwide trial of a four-day work week, and some say the pandemic could force the idea to become mainstream. The concept isn't new, but Spain's pilot is on track to be the first national test. Even before the pandemic, concerns about work-life balance had pushed some companies to experiment with a shorter work week. Some reporting benefits almost immediately. Absenteeism fell 30 percent, and satisfaction levels were up among staff and customers. In Canada, Shopify launched shorter work week trials of their own. For the first time, Canada takes the top spot in this year's Best Countries Report, a ranking by a group of international organizations. Of the 78 countries ranked, Canada is number one based on the following criteria. Cultural, political and technological influences, and social purpose. Japan and Germany are number two and three respectively. Switzerland, the previous number one, fell to number four. The U.S. ranks sixth. Because we, the people, have the power to build a better future. The Montreal High School, where Vice President Kamala Harris attended in her teen years, says it would love to host her. The chair of the English Montreal School Board has written to Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau to formally request that Harris stop over in Montreal during a future official visit to Canada. The chair writes the board was proud to see the graduate of Westmount High School ascend to the vice presidency last November. I can't even describe how much I'm looking forward to this meal. A posthumous collection of Anthony Bourdain's best travelogues offer up a guide to the world. The new book includes essays from friends and family about the late TV chef. Bourdain's brother Chris reminisces about exploring their native New Jersey and discovering unexpected ancestors in Uruguay. Also in the book, go behind the scenes at a Hanoi restaurant where Bourdain had a casual meal with Barack Obama. Bourdain died in 2018, and his longtime assistant finished the book as a way to serve his legacy. World Travel comes out this week. 
Darius is Jeffrey's dad and he's over four foot and he's now five years old. He's getting an old man now. How's this for a hair-raising crime? Police say one of the world's biggest rabbits was stolen this week from its backyard enclosure at a home in England. Police won't say why they think the disappearance of Darius, a continental giant rabbit, is a theft and not an escape. The grey brown bunny is over four feet and holds the Guinness World Record as the longest. He weighs about 20 pounds. The rabbit's owner is now offering more than a $1,000 reward for his safe return. Despite a turbulent year of grounded air travel around the world, experts predict travel will be cleared for takeoff post-pandemic, but with some noticeable changes. Air travel will be more complex and carry a few unavoidable features, higher travel and insurance costs, and a possible vaccine passport. I spoke with Richard Smart, CEO of the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. So I guess I have to start and ask you about this week's big air travel news and Ottawa's financial deal with Air Canada, which does carry the stipulation for customer refunds, not the vouchers. How is this decision going to impact travel? Well, this 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 was a significant uh, announcement that the Canadian government made. Um, and you have to recall, TICO, first of all, is, is all about to consumer protection or consumer protection regulatory authority for Ontario. And anything that benefits uh, consumers, that, you know, related to travel, is, is a good thing. So, with the uh, with the Air Canada announcement, we know that so many consumers have been um, upset, uh, rightfully so, with having their uh, business trips or leisure trips cancelled uh, due to COVID over the over the last year, and, and in many cases, had those trip cancellations replaced with these future travel credits or travel vouchers. So the fact that Air Canada is, is coming out now with, a, with a, a refund policy for those past cancellations, but also with a, a policy around uh, how they're going to handle refunds in the future, I think is a positive step forward uh, for the travel industry as a whole. So people have been isolated now for more than a year, dreaming of that first big trip post-pandemic. What is the number one thing that travelers are going to notice that's different? Well, um, Travel has has changed. You you hear the the, the words new normal uh, uh, going forward, and that that's still uh, that's still fluid and, and still evolving. But uh, but clearly, I'd say travel uh, for at least uh, the next little while is going to be more complex. We have to assess the the destinations that um, that uh, Canadian travelers are are going to. And there's been lots of uh, news out there that a lot of destinations some are ahead of uh, Canada in the vaccination programs, but. Um, according to the World Health Organization, there's there's still a large number of countries that'll take well in, well into 2023 before they're fully vaccinated. So, from a consumer protection standpoint, the whole travel supply chain is is evolving into this this new normal, um, and that's why uh, we're working with our uh, travel agencies and tour operators to make sure that the sort of disclosures and information that consumers need to make that informed decision uh, is there. Um, and so that when when travelers are, are are traveling to to another country or even you know inside of Ontario or inside of Canada, they're doing so with uh, you know full information at, at at hand. So let's get into that. More complex to me kind of sounds like code for the cost will go up. Travel insurance will it's going to cost more to take a trip? Yeah, you know um, I think in general. Um, you know, I wish I could say that, that that prices will remain, you know, remain flat. But the, the reality is, is there's a huge pent up demand 
And I think there's upward price pressure. Um, travel operators, uh, tourism companies, um, travel agencies, airlines, you know, they're, they're looking to, to make up a lost ground. There are, uh, there are, you know, supply issues out there in terms of uh, destinations, whether or not they're fully ready to, to receive travelers. So I, I think uh, consumers should expect to, to see upward uh, price pressure. And, and when it comes to insurance, um, this is where we really uh, promote, encourage uh, consumers to, to work with their travel advisor. Uh, don't don't try to do it, you know, themselves because insurance, as we know, you know, the devil's in the detail. There's lots of fine print. There's lots of rules, and no one insurance policy is the same. Um, we have a requirement at, at Tico, you know, when a consumer is uh, purchasing uh, insurance. Uh, which, by the way, is, is it's not mandatory. It's still a consumer's choice whether or not they want to purchase insurance or not, that they work with their uh, travel advisor to to understand who they're deal- dealing with, what's in the policy, what sort of coverage is being provided, the distinction between trip cancellation and trip interruption, and cancellation you know, by, by the various suppliers, whether it's the airline, the hotel, or, or whomever. All that needs to be really carefully researched and understood and of course, now you've got the added challenge of understanding the coverages associated with COVID uh, mm-hmm. when you're in destination. Insurance was could be complicated enough before COVID. Um, I think uh, it's continuing to evolve, and a lot of insurance uh, providers have done a good job trying to, to explain it. But it's by uh, by by no means is, is it uh, um, finished yet. There's going to continue to be changes in those policies going forward, and you know whether they're incorporated into the the cost of the ticket or the uh, the package that the consumer buys. So. This is where work, working with a, a professional travel advisor through a, through a registered travel agency is, is something that we highly uh, encourage consumers to do. How divided do you think Canadians are on this idea of a vaccine passport to have proof at hand that you are vaccinated in order to travel? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. It's, a, it's somewhat of a, a relatively new concept and it's under lots of scrutiny. So I think there is quite a bit of uh, a division and uncertainty. Um, it's, it's sort of outside of TICO's direct scope, although clearly there's a link to consumer protection that, you know, when we all travel, we want to make sure uh, you know, those around us and, and the destination we're going to is um, that, that uh, you know, uh, herd immunity is being, being achieved. So the vaccination passports, I, I think there's, there's a lot more uh, work uh, to be done on them. There's the uh, many issues at play here. There's the economics, the social elements, privacy, diversity. Um, and to, in today's society, with uh, um, the focus on the Me Too movement and diversity and systemic racism, we really need to be careful of discriminatory practices. And I know that's one of the big concerns from an ethical standpoint with these uh, with these uh, passports. However, I think when uh, when you balance everything out and balance is the key, I think there is a role for those passports to play to give uh, consumers the. Um, comfort and, and security that when they do travel, um, that that uh, they're doing so safely, and, and I think that's the intent of the passports. But there's a, the, as I said earlier, the devil's in the detail and understanding how that's all going to work. Richard Smart is CEO of the Travel Industry Council of Ontario. I'm Christine Ross, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, environmentalists urge us to continue living green post pandemic. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting against ageism in the workplace and the marketplace. Find out more at carp.ca. 
After more than a year of lockdown, many of us have lived a more sustainable lifestyle, sometimes not by choice, whether driving less to work or shopping less. And there's been hope amid a dark year as we celebrate Earth Day this coming Thursday. Vaccines were rolled out quicker than even the experts predicted, leaving some to argue if the world can unite to tackle an unseen monster like COVID-19, surely we can defeat an invisible beast like climate change. Not so fast, says Douglas MacDonald, with the School of Environment at the University of Toronto, who argues they are distinctly different. Well, it's difficult because the pandemic is an immediate emergency, and it is made urgent by the fact that people are dying from it. We've been working for the last 50 years or so trying to improve our levels of environmental protection, What the pandemic has shown is the reason that we've had so much trouble over the last 50 years. In the pandemic, even in a situation of absolute urgency and people dying, there's such incredible pressure in our society, a capitalist society that depends upon jobs and work. Uh, There's so much pressure to keep things opened up. That's why the provincial governments have vacillated so much between opening up and shutting down. So let's just stick with the theme of the pandemic and climate change. Some are drawing uh, a parallel between the two, calling them two big invisible monsters, and that if we can tackle COVID-19 on a united front globally, well, certainly could we not do the same for climate change? Is that a fair assessment? It's It's fair in that they both present a global collective action problem, that no one country or group of countries can solve their, either of their problems by themselves. You need global cooperation. But what the pandemic is showing us is that it's hard to find global cooperation. There's some uh, effort to share vaccines, but we're seeing the, the rich nations looking out for themselves first. So... The federal conservatives recently, delegates were rejected adding climate change is real. That one line into their policy book. And many drew comparisons to Donald Trump, who, you know, pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord, the first nation to formally withdraw. How will this conservative decision or inaction on climate change impact the trajectory of the change in this country? The fact that the conservatives, I mean, it's It's astounding to think about this, that a major political party in the year 2021 Mm -hmm. could take the position that the issue does not exist. This is really hard to believe. But the way it's resonating with the Canadian public, the Trudeau Liberals have just brought in a plan to put the carbon tax up to $170 a ton. Nobody was talking about that kind of thing a few years ago. And yet right now, it's the conservatives who are on the defensive because they don't believe in pricing, because they pass that kind of a resolution. So getting back to this, you mentioned it's 2021, how a government can deny climate change is real. How do we, there are those out there, there are deniers, how do we report this? Because there really isn't another side to this story, given the science. Well, um, it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, to my mind, now this reflects my area of that I do research in is environmental politics. Mm -hmm. But to my mind, this reflects where we sit right now in the politics of the issue in Canada. And we have very clear division between governments, which do believe the problem exists, 
and are acting on it, such as the government of Quebec, the government of British Columbia, or the government of Canada headed by Justin Trudeau. And then we have other governments, like the government of Alberta, the government of Saskatchewan, and the government of Ontario, which they certainly, they no longer say that they don't believe the problem exists, but they're not acting on it. And in fact, they were actively, through their litigation before the Supreme Court, trying to prevent the federal government from acting on it. So I think that you and the news media and individual Canadians who are coming up to Earth Day and they're asking themselves, what can I be doing this Earth Day? And they may want to be making changes in their own lifestyle. They may want to make donations to environmental organizations. But I would also urge them to think the next time they have an opportunity to vote, think about the fact that we have a very clear divide between uh, political parties that are, are acting and those which are not acting. Well, you, you partially answered my next question then. So getting back to Earth Day for a moment, this will be the second one amid the pandemic coming up on Thursday. And, you know, every year people will dim their lights or conserve water. And we do this kind of once a year marketing campaign. But how can we all live more sustainably going forward beyond just Earth Day? What we can all do is to recognize the basic nature of the issue, which is it's Uh, particularly for climate change, but also for other aspects of environmental protection, which is the intergenerational equity aspect of the issue. What we are doing is effectively saying we're not willing to pay the price of action, and therefore we're going to slide that price off our shoulders, and we're going to put it on the shoulders of our children, uh, their children, and and their children of, of future generations. And there's a a real, real problem with doing that. Well, that is a perfect lead into my final question. And you mentioned intergenerational. I need to speak about the activists. Everyone from 18-year-old Greta Thunberg to 83-year-old Jane Fonda have been on the front lines and have been very vocal. It's an issue now that seems to transcend age. All this a hopeful sign for you? Absolutely. I spent considerable time at the University of Toronto working with students who were working to take action uh, to try and convince governments uh, to, to to do more on the issue of, of climate change. And then to see the way young people, I have nothing but respect for Greta Thunberg. She's one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. I thought the speech she gave at the United Nations ranks right up there with uh, Martin Luther King in terms of uh, the powerful, powerful speech. And the fact that young people have got this message that they're the ones who are being asked to pay this price, and they're standing up, and they're saying, no, uh, we won't. I see that as uh, absolutely hopeful. Douglas McDonald, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Douglas McDonald is Senior Lecturer Emeritus with the School of the Environment at the University of Toronto. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Christine Ross in for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads.
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.